you know, the last time I stood behind this pulpit, not here, when it used to be in Pleasant Grove, your pastor, I believe, probably was maybe a teenager at that point in time, a young teenager. Uh, so if you want to know stories about what he was like then and a little younger, you probably should have wished my wife would have come, but she's with uh, her second mom, her aunt down in Miami, who turned 100 yesterday and they had a birthday party. So she's down there. But, but she taught in children's Sunday school, and Nathan was one of the ones that left an indelible imprint on her mind. Use your own imagination for that. That's, that's, that's okay. But one of the things that always jumped out was when they would have prayer time and have prayer requests, Nathan always prayed and thanked God for peanut butter and jelly. Oh, but it's been great to reconnect with him. I was executive pastor there at, at Pleasant Grove while he was growing up through the 90s. And, and what a great time and a great place to grow up and the hand of God was on that place in such a mighty way. I was thinking while I was driving down here, and he and I were talking, at least a half a dozen uh, uh, young men were called into the ministry during that time period, and, and, and Nathan was one of them. And I know he's doing a great job, and it's exciting to see what God's doing. So what we're going to do is, I know you're in the midst of, of the emphasis, who's your one? And you've been preaching through a series uh, uh, pastor's been preaching through a series talking about uh, whether it was Andrew bringing the one to Jesus or, or, or the woman at the well, or, and, and you've got more to come, whether on the Gaza Road and a few other things along that nature. And so I asked Nathan to send it. I said, look, I'm going to ask the Lord to give me something that will be for you guys that continues to have you within the midst of this. So what we're going to look at today is bring your one. Because I've got good news for some of you. Some of you are going, you know, I don't mind picking out who's my one, and I don't mind praying for them. I don't mind doing any of that. But, but it's hard for me to sit there and even take the Roman road, as simplistic as it may be, and sit in front of them and lay them out and give them an opportunity to respond to Christ. Well, I've got you another way that you can bring your one to Jesus, and you may not necessarily have to do it that way until you get comfortable, because when Jesus is in the house, you can bring your one to Jesus in the house. And I, I just believe, and I sense it as, I, as I've stood around amongst you people over these, uh, you guys, over these last uh, few moments, and as we have sang and, and worshipped, that may be a better word, as we've worshipped, Jesus is in this house. Bethany has a reputation for a long time that Jesus is in the house. And so we're going to take a few moments. We're going to look at the second chapter of Mark. I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word, whether it's printed or digital, and turn to the second chapter of Mark. And we're going to walk through this passage. There's five key figures in this narrative. There's Jesus, who's the Savior. There's the paralytic who's the sinner. There's the friends who are sincere, the scribes that are skeptic, and the people that are surprised. And I'm going to ask you a question. Why do people go to church? Why do you come to church? And we're going to look at what happens when Jesus is in the house. So if you have found the second chapter of Mark in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in reverence and honor as we read His Word. 
Now, when he, talking about Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and they were reasoning in their heart, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Go home. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up his pallet, went out uh, in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask now over these next few moments as we unpack it that you would speak to us. Speak to me, through me. Add nothing to it. Take nothing away. And may you be glorified as we share your word. And we ask all of it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So there you are. Let's let's just kind of draw this picture a little bit so you understand what's taking place. Because Jesus is in the house and in those days... Those days, the houses were tight, and they were together. And there wasn't central heat and air. And Jesus, if we, if, we read in the, if we would read in the first chapter of Mark, we'd see that Jesus had been out, he had been teaching, he had been healing folks, and, and, and he even had gotten alone, and, and the disciples went and found him because he was praying and spending time with his father. And at that point in time, they, he said, it's time to get up. We've got to go to the next place. We've got to continue to, to share the gospel, spread the gospel. And so they come into Capernaum. I envision it. Now, you see, I don't want to add anything that's not here. But there's just some things when I read Scripture, it just kind of, I get a visual image. And I'm going to try to paint that visual image for you as far as that goes. And so they probably arrived that night, late at night, and got to the house he was probably tired. He slept. He got up the next morning. And you know how small communities can be. The word began to spread. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. There's the house he is. And I can, I can just imagine a few of them because when daylight came, windows would be open and doors would be open because they wanted the, 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 the breeze to blow through. And when the door was open in that culture, you were free to walk in. You were invited to walk in. There were no strangers. And I can just imagine that folks began to, to show up. And they said, and Jesus was there. And they began to ask him questions. They began to talk to him. And he began to interact with them. And before you know it, more were there. And it became more crowded and more crowded. And it says it got to such a point it was so tight, I see people kind of leaning into the window so they could get a look. They gathered around and pressed up against the doorway and probably all around the edge of it just so they could see. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus. Some of them may wanted to ask questions of Jesus. But it was packed. Because Jesus was in the house. Excuse me. 
And what is there when Jesus is in the house? First of all, there's power when Jesus is in the house. There's power. There's faith to believe that God's power will make a difference. And first of all, there's power to make a difference for us to come to Him. To come to Him. Uh, regardless of the opposition or the obstacles. Because stop and think about it. Here were these four friends. We know there were four friends because Scripture tells us there were four friends. And there was this paralytic. He couldn't walk. He couldn't walk. We don't know why he couldn't walk. Scripture doesn't tell us that. We don't know if he couldn't walk from the time that he was born. We don't know if there was an accident that took place. We don't know if he was just being foolish. And guys, you know what I mean when I say he was being foolish. Here, hold my drink and watch this. We don't know if he did anything like that. We don't know, we don't know why he was a pa- We just know he couldn't walk. We don't know that if he, was mar- if he was married. We don't know if he had kids. We don't know anything about him. We don't know how he make a, made a living. But we know one thing. He had four friends. And I believe, I believe that somewhere along the line, these friends had come and met Jesus already, had experienced Jesus already, that wherever he was before he came to Capernaum, they saw and they realized what Jesus could do. And so they thought to themselves, we got this friend. We got to bring this one to Christ. We got to bring this one to Jesus. We know he can't walk. We know he needs to be healed. We know he has an issue. And there's not anything we can do about it. But if we just brought him to Jesus, Jesus can do something. And Jesus is in the house. So I can just envision that they load him up. They get him on that pallet. They begin to walk with him. And they turn the corner. And as soon as they turned the corner and saw the house with which Jesus was in, they went, oh no, what are we going to do? There was a crowd. There was no way they were going to get near the house. They, were going, they weren't going to be able to get near the room that he was in. Back in the 60s, there was a baseball player by the name of Roberto Clemente. He was one of my favorites. He did something no one did before and no one has done since then in Major League Baseball. It was the bottom of the ninth and the Pirates, who he played for, were down by three. The bases were loaded. There were two outs. And there in that huge stadium they played in called Forbes Field, he hits one in the gap. One run scores. Two run scores. Three run scores. The score is tied. And here comes Clemente approaching third. And the third base coach is going, stop. And Clemente blows through. Slides safe at home. Pirates win. A reporter after the game asked him, why did you run the stop sign that the third base coach put up there? He said, man, I was tired. I just wanted to go home. But it baited a question to me when I heard that story. When he saw that in, in, in my own life, was that a sign or was that a test? Was that a sign you need to stop? Or was that a test that sometimes you've got to go beyond the opposition? You've got to move past the obstacle. You want to go home and get to the house that Jesus is in. You've got to keep moving. And so I believe these four friends, they saw the crowds that were there. They understood the way the house was made up. And that there was opposition that, was going to hold, that, that may have prevented them from getting their friend to Jesus. And they knew the only one that was going to make a difference in his life was going to be Jesus. So what they do? They realize houses of that day 
had a, because it was so tight, there wasn't a front yard, there wasn't a backyard, but there was a narrow set of steps that went up to the roof, and the roof was flat, and it was kind of like a thatch roof that was made from the side and the dirt, and, and they would pack it together, and they would put cross beams and then kind of lay it on and pack it in, that even to such a degree that grass would grow up top. So it would be a getaway place. If you read on into the book of uh, Acts, you realize that, that, that before the friends of Cornelius came to show up to Peter to come get him to bring him back to Cornelius' house, that he was up on the rooftop to get away and spend time with God. And they thought, why don't we get up on the roof and see what we can do? And I get it. This wasn't a normal set of stairs that we would think of a normal set of stairs today. There weren't handrails or anything along that nature. These, this was a narrow path that probably only one person could walk. And I still, I think that I don't know how they got the paralytic and the pallet up there. I don't know if one of them picked him up, put him across the shoulder and carried him. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the one thing that I do know. That they weren't going to allow the, the obstacles in front of them to keep them from bringing their one to Jesus who was in the house. And so they got up on the roof. And they knew what the roof was going to be like. And they knew they could fix it after the fact. And, and, and they began to dig a hole above the room where they knew Jesus was going to be. Now you stop and think about it. If you were in that room listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden stuff, stuff started falling from the ceiling. A couple of things would think, go through your mind. What time, type of varmint's up there? Maybe. Is it an earthquake? Maybe. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, just a big old chunk falls and hits the ground. And then I envision there's at least one, if not two of them, that kind of sticks their, hole, their head down into the hole, looking down at the floor and goes, there's Jesus, I found him. Get Billy Bob right now, get him on the pallet. And they lower him down and put him at the feet of Jesus. You see, there's power when Jesus is in the house. There's power to come to him. Regardless of the opposition or the obstacles. Man, you've got to get your wand in front of Jesus. Because there's also power to change things. Man, are you tired of life the way it is? There's only one person who can change it. And he's in the house. You've got a friend who needs help. There's only one who can help him. you got someone who needs some type of healing. There's only one because there's power to cure people physically, emotional issues, financial needs, whatever it may be. There's only one, and that's Jesus. You see, in those days, we got to understand that, that they believed if you had some type of, some type of issue like this paralytic, it must be because you must have messed up and done something really wrong. You were bad. You were a sinner. Today's vernacular, we just call them a heathen. You're a heathen. That's what they equated it for, too. And sometimes it's not our own fault. It's just life. And there's only one. Because there's power when Jesus is in the house. But you know, there's not only power, there's possibilities. When you come to, when you come to church, do you have expectations? Is there an anticipation? Are you like the psalmist on Sunday morning when you wake up knowing you're about ready to come to Bethany? That I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Or do you come just because 
you enjoy connecting with people because community that it is. Or on days like today, do you come because you just want to commiserate the misery because of what happened at Kyle Field last night? Yeah, that's okay. Why, why, is there an anticipation? Is there an anticipation, expectation that you're going to see Jesus? Do you come think, I'm going to see Jesus? And so if I've got the one that I want to bring to Jesus, is he going to be there? I can't wait to see Jesus. Maybe we don't bring our one because we don't expect to see Jesus when we show up. We just want to be able to punch our card and let God know, say, see, I went to church this week, God. Am I doing good now? God doesn't bless us because we're good. God blesses us because he's God. Do we expect to hear from Jesus? The great writer of devotions, Oswald Chambers, in his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, says, most people go to church to hear the preacher. Because if I hear the preacher, if I don't like what he says, I can just say, that's his opinion. I think, I see it differently. Or I can, be, I can just get upset with him, I can't believe he said that. But if you come and you hear, the, you hear God, you hear Jesus, and you don't like what he had to say because it came from Jesus, you only have two options then. That you can be rebellious and disobedient and not change. Or you have to change. So do you come to the house when Jesus is in it because you want to hear from Jesus? You want to see Jesus? Do you want to experience Jesus? You know, when we experience Jesus, we always get more than what we ask. There was the paralytic, and he was set down there. He was crippled. He was wanting a physical healing. And what he got was spiritual restoration. He got saved. He got his sins forgiven. See, I, 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 I just got a sneaking suspicion. At least one, if not all four of those friends had experienced Jesus... They understood that for their friend to be whole, whether he never walked again, he needed to be whole. And there's only one person who can take the broken pieces that come with life that we live on this earth because we're all going to have broken lives at some point in time. And there's only one who can take this, this, this heap of pieces of a broken life and put it back together and it is whole and better than it ever was. And that's Jesus. And they knew it. And they brought him. I think their friend wanted to be healed. He wanted to walk. His friends wanted him whole. And so when they put him down, through that hole, into the, in, in, into the, at the feet of Jesus, he got his sins forgiven. But then the interchange that took place at this point in time was just kind of, it kind of amazes me. You would think somewhere along the line when you read the Gospels and see how often that whether it was the scribes or the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the high priest and Jesus was doing something like healing somebody like he was doing here, which he did frequently in their presence. They would be over in the corner talking amongst themselves. Sometimes they may just be sitting there brooding over what what they were seeing. 
And Jesus in His Spirit, because you've got to remember He was still all God, knew what they were thinking, knew what they were reasoning, knew that they equated the fact He couldn't walk with the fact that He was a sinner. That He didn't know God, didn't love God, didn't care about God, because if He did, He wouldn't have done what He did, He wouldn't be in this condition today. He knew that. They were skeptical. How dare this man say your sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. It was almost like, you claiming to be God? Jesus didn't have to claim to be God. He was God. He is God. And so he looked at him and said, I said, fine. If this is the way you want to play it, he doesn't give the answer to them. He turns back to the guy. He turn, turns back to the man who couldn't walk. He says, just so everybody will know, take up your pallet and go home. Now, why did he use that phrase, I have the foggiest idea? I was, I was thinking about praying through it this morning, and, and it hit me in a slightly different way. I don't know where this guy lived. You know, this guy could have had an accident that put him in this, this condition. And he may have lived, you got he may have lived up on the hillside. He may not have been able to get to his home for years. We don't know that. But the moment Jesus said, take up your pallet and go home, it said immediately. 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 He got up and was gone in front of everybody. And I don't think he walked out of there. I think he ran. And the only reason he was able to do that was because his friends were not going to be stopped by the opposition and obstacle. They were going to bring their one to Christ, place him at the feet of Jesus, and say, Jesus, he needs to be whole. I think he wanted to be healed. So he was healed, and then he was forgiven, and thus he was whole. Scribes just blew their mind. It blew their mind. The people were amazed. They were speechless. They were amazed. They had never seen anything like this before. So the people were surprised. But you know, when Jesus is in the house, there's power, there's possibilities. And in that, we got, we got to understand this. Jesus didn't convey forgiveness. He wasn't a representative of God for forgiveness. He wasn't like an ambassador that we would have from the United States that go to a foreign country and represent, the, represent us. He wasn't a conduit with which God could forgive others through him. Jesus is God and has the power to forgive sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us. He provided forgiveness on the cross. When he paid for our sin. He brings us eternal life from the grave when he walked out. There's no power of death over us. Paul said, oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? It's all because the four friends wanted their one to experience Jesus. And so when Jesus is in the house, we can move from power, we can move from possibilities. But what we have to understand, 
is there's going to be a process. There's got to be a persistency with which we reflect Christ. It's hard for us to bring our one on Sunday if we're not reflecting Christ the other days of the week. And how do you do that? It's going to impact your prayer life. The way you talk to God, the way you commune with God, the way you set out every day to spend time with God. Back in the first chapter of the 35th verse, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. You see this constantly throughout Scripture. That here was Jesus Christ, all God, all man, but all God. Don't understand it, will never understand it. If there were times in his life on a consistent basis, he had to spend moments between him and the Father, how would I dare think I wouldn't need to? So in the process of you being able to be the witness you need to be and reflective of Christ to to the one that you're praying for, you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to spend time with God. Within that, it's going to impact your practice of life. Paul records in the 5th chapter of Galatians, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, meekness, self-control. Against such there's no law. Come down one more verse to the 21st. It says, if you are going to live in the Spirit, you've got to walk by the Spirit. It's not how high you jump when you've experienced God in a mighty way. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Others are watching. You real, do you realize there are a lot of people, the only Bible they're ever going to read. When this hit me, I went, oh my God, please. When I realized I will be the only Bible some people will ever read. The fact that they know you go to church, they equate you with God. It doesn't matter what else you do. So whatever you do, they're going to think that's what... And, and, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we are. That's why when Jesus is in the house, this isn't a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. It's the only place they can be made whole. And thus, in our process, is our prayer life, in our practice of life, is it, is it being reflective of Christ? So that we can proclaim Christ with our lives. And the only way... And Jesus knew that it was going to be impossible. That's why he told his, his disciples, Man, i got to go away. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. But I'm going to leave somebody with you. It's the Holy Spirit. Luke recorded it like this in the first chapter of Acts. After this, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And you will be my... Not that you might be. Not that you should be. Not that you need to think about it. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the question then baits, if we are witnesses, what type of witness are we? Good, bad, indifferent, dull, dark? Are we reflective, bright, empowering, encouraging? Because we need to proclaim with our lives. The power of Jesus being in the house. The possibilities. 
that what God has done for me through Christ, He can do for you. We've got to share it. And the only way that we're going to have the ump and the want to, to bring our one and place them at the feet of Jesus, is we've got to have a passion for people to make a difference. We've got to focus on people. I mean, look at those four friends. They didn't let opposition, they didn't let obstacles, they didn't let anything stop them to get their friend to the field. Now, think of the friends of Job. Job, for no reason, Job didn't know this, his friends didn't know this, his wife didn't know this, except that, that God was bragging on Job and Satan requested to sift him. I mean, it's hard for me to get a visual image at his worst what Job looked like. The scabs, the boils, the fact that it itched, he scraped it with broken pottery just to try to get it to stop. His hair falling out. Because of the way his skin was, he couldn't take a bath. And, and the book of Job even talks about his halitosis. He had unbearable breath. He couldn't stay in the same room. And so his friends and his wife show up to try to encourage him. And you know what the biggest word of encouragement is they gave him? The wife may have been the actual one to speak it. Oh, wasn't she a lovely girl? When she goes, why don't you just curse God and die? You'd be better off. Are we that, are we that type of friend? Now, we may not verbalize that. But do we act that way? Or are we the friends like the one who brought the paralytic and placed him at the feet of Jesus? Man, I've experienced Jesus. You need to get in on what I got in on. But I can't get there. Don't worry, I'll bring you. Oh, no, this is too big of a crowd. Don't worry, we can overcome it. Oh, that stairwell is so narrow, narrow. Don't worry, we'll get you up there somehow. They might have created a levee system. I really don't know. Oh, now we're on the roof, but we're up here and he's down there. That's all right. I'll dig a hole. I'm telling you, to reflect Christ and to bring your one to Christ that you're praying for, it's not easy. Satan doesn't want you to do that. But it's worth it if you have a passion for people. When you see people, do you see their pain? What they're going through? Do you see their problems that, that you've drawn the conclusion they deserve what they're getting? Well, well, do we really want to play that game? You do realize if we all got what we deserved, what we would all get would be eternal separation from God? And just so the usher knows, I heard what he said this morning, so I will tell you right now, heaven is real and hell is hot. You don't want anybody to go there. Do we grasp that? Do, do, so, wow, that's their problem. Or do we see their potential? Oh. See, here was a, here was a, here was a paralytic. He couldn't walk. Hey, he was probably in constant pain. He may have brought it on himself. We don't know. And that was the problem. But the friends looked at him and said, I see the potential. If he got in front of Jesus... He can be made whole. You say, Bill, you keep saying that, and I will keep saying that. 
Because the only thing that we have to offer a lost and dying world is Christ and Him glorified. We've got to hold Him up. And the only way we're going to do it and take it to the ones that we love or the ones that we know and bring them to the house where Jesus is is we've got to understand they're in pain and they have a problem. But that cannot be the only thing that we see. We've got to see their potential that because of what Christ has done, they can be made whole. What motivates our actions for others more? Their pain and their problem or their potential? Or is it a combination of all three? But you've got to see the potential because the potential is not in them. The potential is what Christ can do for them. You know, we think that we do good. That's why God blesses us. No, He doesn't. God blesses us because He's God. Oh, and just an FYI, this is a side note. You know, say, well, I'm just trying to be good. Well, go ahead. But just remember, you can't spell good without God. If you take God out of good, what do you have left? Oh. Oh, me. Oh, my. Oh, no. Oh. So if you're going to be good, you're going to be godly. And if you're going to be godly, you're going to see the pain, the problems, the potential. And so when Jesus is in the house and you, and you, you see the power, the faith to believe that God's power is going to make a difference, and you see the possibilities, what can take place when you bring your one because Jesus is in the house. And you understand that your life seven days a week have got to look the same as it does on Sunday morning. You need to be a reflection of Christ. And you're going to have a passion for people. And you're going to want to pray for them. You're going to want to love on them. But more than anything else, to prove their love, you want to get them in front of Jesus. Whether you do it one-on-one or you bring them here. When that happens. It'll all end in praise toward God and for God. For what He does and who He is. Because power plus the process multiplied by the possibilities, controlled by the passion for people, equals change lives by God to praise God. Let me repeat that for you. The power... Plus our process multiplied by the possibilities, controlled by passion for God, equals change lives by God to praise God. It's all about God. That's why we pray for our one. That's why we will encourage our one. But if we really care, we're going to bring our one to Jesus because he's in the house. So let me ask you, why did you come to church today? Did you see, hear, or experience Jesus, whether it was in Sunday school or during worship? If so, what are you going to do about it? Years ago, when Abraham Lincoln was president, he went to church with one of his cabinet members. It was Presbyterian Church on the edge of town. They walked there. And as they were walking back toward the White House, the cabinet member turned to the president and said, Mr. President, that was a new preacher today. What did you think of him? He was okay. And the cabinet member went on and on and on of, of what he said and what it was good. And he said, he says, you didn't like him? And the president goes, he was okay. And so the cabinet member said, finally said, why do you say he was only okay? And the president stopped, looked at him and said, he didn't ask me to do anything. I do not want you to walk out these four walls and think that, first of all, Bill didn't ask us to do anything. And second of all, Jesus 
was here, and he didn't ask us to do anything. Here's the one thing that I do know. Jesus asked you to pray for your one, to love your one, but bring your one to Jesus. What are you going to do about it? You're being asked this week to do something that moves you closer to bringing your one to Jesus than you did this past week or the week before that. And some of you are saying, well, Bill, this is great. This Jesus you're talking about, I don't know. Well, I've got good news for you. You can know him today. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, we know that, that, that you're in the house. And some have said, Bill, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have good news for you. Bill's going to bring you to Jesus. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes in the righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made into salvation. So in faith, if you were to pray right now and say, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. The Bible tells us if you did that believing, then God did what he said he was going to do. To as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the children of God. You have become a child of God. And I'm going to ask you, if that's the case, to come in just a few moments. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Jason's going to be in the front. You grab Jason by the hand or someone else you know and say, Look, I just prayed to receive Christ. I want to know more about this Jesus. For some of you, when we finish praying and we begin to sing, you need to come to the altar. You need to rededicate your life to reach that one you're praying for. Some of you have been visiting this place, and this is a spiritual headquarters that you need to be part of. Because Jesus is in the house, you want to be part of it. Come grab Jason by the hand and say, I want to be part of this body of Christ. So when I finish praying, you stand, you come. Father, we thank you for loving us. And we just ask now that your spirit would have the freedom to move. And we would do what you ask us to do. And we ask all of this in the sweet, powerful name of Jesus.